Shaq Master! I told you. Oh, God. You just gotta keep living, man. L I V I N. WWE comes to try and jump into the back. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, twist of all ages. It's showtime. Josh Briley. Say hey, Josh. What's up, everybody? I am so excited to be here tonight. We have a very, very special guest. Yeah, that, that music should give it away, right? I hope so. I mean, the music right there is the music from our childhood. It's the music from a lot of people's childhood. It's the theme from the Midnight Express. Theme of one of the greatest wrestlers to ever be inside of a wrestling room. This episode is going to be dedicated to, like Josh said, one of the best wrestlers, one of the most underrated wrestlers, and he should be in the Hall of Fame right now, uh, him and his tag team partners and manager, and that is none other than the Midnight Express's own beautiful Bobby. He was one of the one of the wrestlers that could literally get by with just his work alone. He never really had to say much. No. Because everything that he did, you know, it was in the ring. Right. I mean, he was probably by far one of the best workers in the business. He was one of those classic, you don't have to talk much. You let your you let your ring work do your talking. And it probably talked louder than anybody else's in many years. He's probably still one of the most underrated people. And he's he's got to be inducted into the Hall of Fame pretty soon, you would think. Well, like I said, I mean, I'm going to tell you... I did the Alabama Jam way more than I ever did the Stone Cold Stunner or anything growing up, you know, off of the couch or on a wrestling buddy or whatever. I mean, if you just look at his resume, I mean, it just screams Hall of Famer. His tag team partners included Steven Regal, Arn Anderson, Stan Lane, Dennis Condry. Dennis Condry. He had Coco Beware, who is a Hall of Famer. He's one of the only people in the business that's had both Paulie Dangerously and Jim Cornette as his managers. That's pretty hard to beat. I mean, two of two future Hall of Famers there as well, you would think. Uh, I mean, at some point, both of them are going to be in like Flynn. This week's show is all about beautiful Bobby Eaton. We're going to talk to his most recent tag team partner, a part of Midnight Gold, a guy by the name of the Golden Boy, Greg Anthony. We're also going to talk to one of his managers and best friends, Brian Thompson, get some stories from both those guys. And we're also going to talk to the one and only beautiful Bobby Eaton himself. The man himself. It should be a good one. We're hoping that you're going to stay tuned and be entertained by us here at P3 Radio after this commercial break. January 6th, 2018 at the Carl Perkins Civic Center. Get ready for an elegant evening that packs a punch when the second annual Black Tie in Boxing, the fight for a cure, comes back to Jackson. You won't want to miss out on this great night benefiting the JDRF. For ticket information, go to blacktieandboxing.com slash tickets or blacktieandboxing.com. Black Tie in Boxing, January 6th, 2018 at the Carl Perkins Civic Center, Jackson, Tennessee. It's fight time. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, join us on P3 Radio Hotline right now. Not only a promoter, he was, he's was he been a booker, he's been a promoter, he's been a wrestler, he's been a heavyweight champion, and he's also been, I think, what would be Bobby Eaton's last tag team partner. It's none other than the golden boy, Greg Anthony. He's also a good friend of mine, so Greg, how's it going, man? Rock and roll, man. You doing all right? Oh, doing great, man. Last week, we got the opportunity to interview Bobby Eaton. Instead of just making it an interview show, we were going to make it kind of like a tribute show. And we thought, what better way to make it a tribute show than to interview the guy that was teaming up with him the last time he stepped into the ring? So what got you guys paired up? Uh, Well, I mean, you know, Bobby was um, on the downward end of of wrestling in ring, you know, when we got paired up. And that was kind of the deal. You know, he, um, you know, instead of Bobby Eaton going out there at 53 years old or how, however old he was there and having to wrestle singles matches for 10, 15 minutes, <clears throat> it was much easier for him, obviously, to, to work tag matches. And um, the opportunity came about. He was moving to uh, round about this area. He was going to be moving to northwest Arkansas, and he was looking for um, a tag team partner. Brian Thompson was looking for a tag team partner for him right. to pair up with and, and kind of, you know, give that, give that young guy the rub and, and give Bobby an opportunity to, to have bookings where he could actually be in the main events and work and stuff like that. And it was kind of a win, win-win for everybody. Did you mark out at all when you got the call that Bobby Eaton was going to be your tag team partner? I mean, I, I know me, I'm a different person. I probably would have been like giddy and like, oh no, what? <laughs> so was there any kind of like butterflies at first or were you just like, yeah, this is going to be awesome. Let's go. A little bit of both. I mean, obviously, like Bobby legitimately, you know, was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. Right. You understand? Like, I, I was always very drawn to the seamless Southern heels. You know, I didn't really, I didn't have a name for that yet. But when I was, when I was younger, it was him and it was Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard and Ric Flair. And, you know, it was all the Ted DiBiase, you know, it was that certain type of guy. Right. You know, and that's that's the matches that I really loved and really gravitated to. So Bobby legitimately was one of my favorite wrestlers growing up. So um, obviously, when I got that, when I got the opportunity, it was a thing too where I had just started being the uh, the best of the best. You know, I was right. I was putting myself over as the best of the best. I was the heavyweight champion. They finally gave me an opportunity to be. You know, not just a feature part of the show, but actually be the guy, the heel on the show and stuff like that. So I'd done that for about a year, and then this opportunity came up with Bobby, and I was like, well, I can, you know, I can always go back to being the best of the best. I can always go back to being the single guy. How many times did you get the opportunity to tag with Bobby Eaton? Right. It's, at the end of the day, no matter what you accomplish, you know, you're a wrestling fan. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, so, I mean, I'm, I'm a huge wrestling fan, so, yeah, that was obviously a mark that moment. How many dates would you say y'all probably worked together? We we did a couple of bookings a month, probably, and uh, I actually took because I wanted people to to look at us as a legitimate tag team and not just well, there's Bobby Eaton and there's Greg Anthony. We right. can get Greg Anthony by himself anytime. So I would actually take less bookings. Uh, like I quit working like a, a local stuff around my around Dyersburg and Ripley and things like that because I didn't want them. I wanted them to book us as the tag team. Right. And basically what happened was um, they started, people actually started booking us the team as a name, you know, like you would book a Jerry Lawler or, you know, a Billy Gunn or a Buff Bag or something like that. Right. They would book Midnight Gold as their name for their big events. And we would come in there and we would be able to have, you know, main event tag team matches with whoever they wanted us to work with. And we probably did a couple bookings a month 
you know, so right. probably I, I, Brian Thompson actually has every date, every finish, every everything of everything of men I go with. Right. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly how many matches, but, you know, Bobby was just one of those guys. And, and the thing that I really learned from Bobby was, because that was really the first exposure that I got like that. You know, like Greg Anthony's tagging with Bobby, and then people go, well, who's this Greg Anthony guy? And then that's when people start really looking me up and trying to figure out about me. Yeah, it kind of puts and, you on the map a little bit more. Yeah, it put me on, like, I was in Meltzer's thing, you know, when right. he reported about it, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, that I actually met Bobby Eaton. I mean, I, I met uh, Matt Riviera because of this whole deal, too. You right. know, I mean, it was just one thing after another. So it really it really set me on that course. Yeah, and another, and something that a lot of people don't realize, and I, I may have told you personally before, but the entire time that Midnight Gold was a tag team, I never took the pin. Bobby Eaton would not let me get pinned. Oh, wow. So anytime, anytime they wanted to beat Midnight Gold, you know, and they said, well, can we beat Bobby? Or can we beat Greg? He would go, no, we're not beating Greg. We're beating me. Wow. That, that, that's, and that happened. That's yeah, it was, yeah, I mean, that, that was a big deal. I mean, because people, a lot of those companies, sometimes they were afraid to ask Bobby to go under. And they thought that the, the deal with the tag team was that I was there to get, you know, I was there to get beat. I was right. there to be the, you know, the drummer boy, you know? <laughs> and... <laughs> It actually wasn't that way at all. He, you know, he he said, "Beat me. It's not going to hurt me at all. This is for you. This is for you to get the rub, you know. And you're helping me out, so right, you know. And you know, I'll, not down talking any of the legends around this area, but I think we all know when push comes to shove, most times the uh, legend's not taking the pit. The legend's not going to put you over. He's not going. He's going to relive his days from the '60s, '70s, '80s, and you're going to do the work." You're going to be the one that gets, you know, squashed or whatever, and that legend's going to come out looking like a million bucks. He he took the direct opposite of that, which I think is smart because it's also showing that, you know, you're an equal. You're an equal in this, and not only because you're not Bobby Eaton, you're Greg Anthony, but he's like, well, I'm invincible. I'm Bobby Eaton. You know, I'm bulletproof. If I get beat, whatever, and it just makes you look even better. I think that's brilliant, and it's something that more legends around here probably need to do. Well, yeah, because, I mean, it meant more to everybody. Mm -hmm. It meant more to me, obviously, not getting beat. But it also meant so much more to the guys he put over. You know I mean? If right. they beat me, you know, big deal. You know, they pin Greg Anthony. But if they beat Bobby Eaton, right. you know what I mean? He, he understand that part of it, too. He he knew that it was it was just good business for everybody. And like you said, there's a lot of guys, and it's not just this area, but it does tends to be prevalent in the Memphis area. There's a lot of guys that, you know, from a certain time period that, that don't believe, that believe their own hype. And they and and they're not trying to give back to anybody. They're they're trying to hold on to, even though someone gave to them, they're not willing to give to anyone else. Yeah, you know. I mean, so that's that's been an issue. And and to kind of put you over a little bit here too, uh, as a guy that wrestled in tag teams for most of his career, one thing I will say is you can tell you're all in because the one thing that is the hardest thing to erase is the stigma of being a tag team wrestler. And I, I would dare say Bobby fell into that as well because as good as he was yeah. singles, it seems like everybody was trying to put him in a tag team. To kind of put you over a little bit here, I mean, you were all in. If you're if you're trying to intentionally book yourself as a tag team wrestler and knowing that that stigma is hard to erase, that's that's pretty gutsy. That's an all-in move, and a lot of people wouldn't see that. Yeah. Well, I, I did it a couple of times. I mean, me and, me and Riviera team too. I mean, right. I was lucky enough to have – you know, two really, really great tag team partners in, you know, in Bobby and Matt Riviera. Because at, at both time periods, I, I, I think that we were the best tag teams going, Midnight Gold and the Empire. Right. So, 
Um, yeah, and, and I never, I never caught the, I never caught the uh, the tacking stigma. I guess you know, right. I, I think I think a lot of people just they realize that yeah, I was all in in this tag team, but at the end of the day, I was still the Golden Boy Greg Anthony. Gotcha. Do you have any road stories that would? reflect something that he did was kind or maybe even something that he did that was funny that was you know a little bit like a rib or maybe unintentionally yeah there's so many i mean one of my favorite things and i've told this story to my students and things like that before is you know bobby is so uh one of his most memorable memorable things is the scaffold matches right and um it seems like every town we went to there would always be that guy that was, you know, my age or older that had that gleam in his eye would come up to Bobby and be like, Hey Bobby, I just so glad to meet you. And, you know, I just want to tell you how much man, those scaffold matches you had were awesome. What man, what were they like? And, you know, they would sit there on bated breath waiting for Bobby to, to talk to him. And Bobby would just go, Oh, they sucked. And just kind of, <laughs> and you could see the guy, you know, kind of crumble a little bit on right. some of it. What people don't understand is like people see, Starcade and the Skywalkers and things like that, and they see those scaffold matches, mm. and they're like, "Oh, this is so awesome! I remember that so much." But what they don't understand is Bobby and all those guys had to do that on the loop. Yeah, you know, what I mean, they didn't just do one scaffold match; they did like eight that week. But, but he, he just—he literally is like you know, everyone like you said, everyone's in agreement. Bobby Eaton is the nicest guy in the business, and it's not just—he's not just the nicest guy in the business. He may be the nicest person I've ever met. Period. Yeah, because I, I mean, he—he he would literally give anyone the shirt off his back if he just met them you know if they needed it and he had it he would he would give it to him you know he carries bobby's notorious for carrying around you know just like a you know like those blue walmart bags that you give the store now he's notorious for carrying around like a bag similar to that and it'll just have it'll have everything in it it's like the endless bag (laughs) you know you could go up to bobby and be like hey you got some chopsticks in there and he may have some fucking chopsticks you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it was almost a rib at one point to see if you could come up and ask him for something he didn't, you know, and see right. if he had it or not. And if you were able to stump the bag, I guess, I guess you won. But, <laughs> but yeah, it, it always had something. I mean, he would just be like, hey, I, I got an extra burger here. You want a burger? And I'd be like, sure. And he'd give me a burger. And <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Just the, the niceness of this man. Like you said, he might be the nicest man to ever walk the earth. Yeah, I mean, and see that, and that, I it's guess, just, I guess next to Jesus, let's just go there. We won't be sacrilegious. <laughs> well, I've never met Jesus, but I mean, right. Uh, people that I've met, Bob Eaton would be the guy. Yeah. Well, man, I yeah. tell you what, um, we're going to have you back on. I mean, that's a given. Uh, we're just trying to schedule times, get Christmas out of the way. We're still working on this house that we're trying to get in. Once we get into that, we'll have a studio. Uh, it'll be a two-person studio, so we'll still have to do call-ins and stuff like that. But we'll have a we'll have a production area, so it'll be a lot easier to get more guests in and get them get them interviewed. So we're definitely going to have you back. But what you got going on, man? What's uh, anything coming up? Any shows you would like to promote? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we you know pro wrestling mid south. You know, we do every um, every Friday night in Ripley, Tennessee, uh, bell time eight o'clock, and uh, we do every Saturday night in uh, Dyersburg, bell time seven thirty. And then uh, I've got well, there's a really big show in um, in Arkansas, Maumel, Arkansas, for uh, CWA Championship Wrestling of Arkansas. It's going to be January 13th. It's going to have uh, Jerry Lawler versus Matt Riviera. It's going to have uh, Tim Storm versus Carlito. And uh, I'm actually making my return to Arkansas um, after my heart surgery and all that. So this is my first time back in Arkansas with that. 
And, uh, man, just, just rocking and rolling, you know, living the dream, as they say. Facebook, you know, the Golden Boy Greg Anthony. You can find me on there. On Twitter, I'm uh, at Golden Boy Greg. As far as websites go, just go to uh, ProWrestlingMidSouth.com, and you can see all the stuff going on with us there. He's a good friend of mine, the Golden Boy Greg Anthony. Thank you so much, my friend, for being a part of P3 Radio today. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Don't fit. I'm going to have to buy new clothes. Don't drive to the mall. Take a trip down to 51 South Creek Drive in Jackson. See Matt Hoover and the gang at Maximum Health and Fitness. They will not only whip you back into shape, they will keep you in the clothes that you already own. Well, what are my options? Do I have a way to just kind of dip my toe in? Mention this podcast and you will receive a free trial membership. Well, that's it. Enough is enough. I'm heading there right now. Maximum Health and Fitness. 51 South Creek Drive in Jackson. Ladies and gentlemen, right now on the P3 Hotline, we're joined by beautiful Bobby Eaton. Bobby, how's it going, my friend? Good. How you doing, Val? Thanks for having me. Well, we are doing great. Me and Josh are excited to have you on the phone with us to talk to you here on P3 Radio. Uh, we just got a couple right. of questions, and we're going to throw those at you here, and we'll try not to hold you up too long. Okay, that's fine. That's what fine. was it like being trained by Tojo Yamamoto? Uh, it, it was a real, you know... He's a real strict trainer, you know. Um, and of course, he was feared by everybody, you know. A lot of, you know, they believed his gimmick, you know. Exactly. So yeah, it was it was it was real good. I, I went into a full place thinking that it was for real. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. And did you did you feel bad when you found out it kind of was real? No, not really. I, I was kind of relieved a little bit, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I always I always tell people when they ask me, they say, "Wasn't that all fake?" And I was, you know, in the business for about twelve years, and I look at people yeah. and I go, I wish it was fake. My back hurts right, every yeah. day, my knees. <laughs> um, I got that. Yeah, question. Now, I'm, I'm assuming since you started so young, you were a fan of the business. Uh, who were yeah, some of your right. favorites to watch when you were growing up? Guys like Jackie Fargo, Glenn um, Rossi, of course, Tojo. Uh, I, had a, I had a bunch of favorites, you know. I had a bunch who, of them. Who would you say, like, early on in your career were some of the guys that really helped you out just you know whether it be telling you really things that you needed to know or just whatever whatever helped you well one of, one of the guys for uh for sure was i told you yamamoto you know he was you know was a big uh, influence on me and uh he kind of just took me in with him you know i was i was already putting the ring up anyway you know you started putting I mean, the ring up when in high school or middle school maybe yeah yeah something like that i think you know um, maybe middle school probably you're you're one of the people that has one of the best punches in the business. That right hand was, was a thing of beauty. Right. Is that something that you had to work on, or was that something that just came naturally to you? I kind of stole it from somebody. I'm not sure who. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I mean, there was always a bunch of ways people throw punches. You know, I always I, I always stomp sometimes when you know, stomp my foot or whatever. Or I could probably punch you without killing you without stomping. You know. You ever catch anybody with it? <laughs> A few times, yeah. A few times. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry for whoever it was I've got. <laughs> well, I've uh, always heard the stories about, you know, like uh, people telling, like Dick Murdoch, he would hang a pie plate in a door facing or something and just practice for hours on end. Or Terry yeah. Funk would practice, you know, with a nail hanging out of the wall, I guess just to right. timing or whatever. Well, well, Dick Murdoch had one of the better punches then, you know. You know, you wouldn't feel him, you know. Right. So. He was he was a wizard for sure. Did you like working for Nick Gublis early on? 
Yeah, well, that's the only thing I knew. You know, I, I knew by working with him, you know, and I, the payoffs went great, you know. Did you have learning, like a, you know? a personal relationship with Nick, or was it just strictly business? Yeah, I said, yeah, I said, yeah. I was I was with him for my first three or four years, I think it was first three years. I'm I'm not for sure, to be honest with you. I know they yeah. paired he, you with uh, he paired you with his son George, and y'all were the yeah, jet uh, set early on. Uh, you have any good memories from working with George? Well, I mean, I always liked George. I always got along with him. You know, I knew the situation he was in. Right. You know, his, his dad wants to give him a big push, and. And they wanted me to be his partner. And I, you know, it was a good, good thing for me, you know. Right. I guess it was. I learned how to work with a lot of guys. Did you get any heat for, you know, being his partner and kind of being by his side? I, I never was told about it, but I could have had a guy. I could have got heat. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, speaking of which, well, you know, we said that you started when you were younger. Uh, your huh? first match. Did you go into it? Were you smartened up going in? Did you know it was a work then, or or what? What's some memories from your first match that you can? I can't. Make? I can't really remember. I was smart. If I was real smart to it or not, you know. But uh, I'd been around putting the ring up, and I knew some like some of the guys, and they. I'd been practicing in the ring for for quite a while, you know. And I knew a lot of the guys. No, nobody ever. Nobody ever told me anything. <laughs> you know, I, I, I substituted for a guy one night and. And they told me this and that. And that's what I did. You were around for uh, the promotional wars between uh, Goulas and Jerry Jarrett. Did yeah. um, how how was it there at the end before I guess Nick closed up shop? I mean, did you know was well, it kind of doom and gloom or? Well, I mean, I went, I don't know if I was there when it first part broke up. The group first broke up, but I I was there when it broke had broke up all together. But and Chojo was with. Uh, stayed with, with Nick and I was with Nick and I wasn't making a million dollars anyway right. so I didn't know what I, I didn't know what I was supposed to be making yeah right. it's kind of like I guess all all you've ever known then you wouldn't know anything else yeah right exactly did uh well, did you did you favor working more on, uh, for Jerry Jarrett you know because I, I know after Nick closed up you went to, to work for Jarrett with uh, yeah. uh, Coco and all that but did, oh, yeah. you, did you favor working with for Jerry Jarrett more, or say like a Bill Watts? Who who would you like working for more? Well, working for Jerry Jarrett was real good too, you know, and and working for Bill Watts. But I also like working for Nick because I didn't know nothing else. I didn't know you know what was good payoffs, what wasn't good payoffs. Right. right. Okay. Hulk Hogan has been said that some of his back problems come from doing that leg drop that he did. For over the years now yeah. you had probably one of the greatest finishing moves now as a kid i, right. I used to wrestle these little wrestling buddies and outside and i would jump off of uh-huh. my friend's swing set to do the alabama jam uh this right. is somebody growing up as a tennessee fan that hated anything alabama but you you kind of converted me on the alabama jam uh right one of the greatest moves i saw as a kid i thought was just so over with me uh, was that something that you've had any kind of repercussions from doing so many years? Did you have any health problems from that? No, not really. You know, not nothing from no, you know, nothing. Everything was normal. I was, you know, I'm sure I was going to probably, you know, have a, a rebound from it, you know, with all the bumps you take. Right. You know, so, but uh, no, I, I enjoyed doing it. I, I enjoyed doing it. Right. And my my favorite thing of the whole move is, that I guess I made it look okay, where I never hurt nobody, you know. So. Oh, it was a thing of beauty. 
I mean, it, I mean, it was one of those things. Even as a kid, I was just sitting there going, "Oh my God, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen." Well, how many times did we do the Alabama Jam off my granny's couch? Oh, thousands, thousands of times, thousands of right, times. Right? Yeah. Uh, by far, yeah. one of my favorite moves ever. Now, you know, that goes in the same next question. Uh, that goes in that same category. Uh, I don't remember you being off the road. Like even like from when I was a kid all the way up until I started working, I remember you were working pretty regularly. So I don't even know if this even applies. But right, right, yeah. what was one of the worst injuries? Or were you ever just injured to the point where you couldn't go or you just kept going through the injuries? What was one of the worst injuries you ever had? Um, well, one of my worst injuries, I guess, is when I, I think I was who I, who I was working with. I can't think of what, but anyway, I separated my shoulder, my right shoulder. And I had to take some time off for that. You know, I had to take a week off, you know. Right. Off dates, you know. Wow. But that was, that was, you know, so I just want you to give the guy a neck breaker. Some guys go left with it. Some guys go right with it. And I always went to my, I'd go to my left at facing him, you know. I'd go, right, right. And then come over and run back. But, you know, it was just something so simple. And I heard it against Ricky Steamboat, out of all people. <laughs> right. You know? What invader. Yeah. What Vader? It was no, Steamboat. <laughs> no, uh, what no. was it? What was it like working with guys like Vader who were a little bit more stiff? Well, I, I think it was all right. I, I didn't really work with him. I, um, I did a few run-ins with him, you know, and where either the babyface chased us off or whatever. But you know, uh, um, I always like I always like Vader's work. You yeah. know, he was believable. That's for sure. Well, I mean, there was a reason yeah. why he was believable. <laughs> 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 yeah. No kidding. <laughs> so, like, uh, going back to when you were working for Bill Watts, uh, he's notorious for fining guys for this or that. Did you ever get fined by Bill Watts? By Bill, yeah, I was. Well, for for me and Dennis and Corny first got signed with him, with him, and I think it's nineteen eighty three yeah. or eighty two, whatever. But um, we went down and worked for him. For, we left Tennessee. He he uh, come and picked us out of the, of the group. Jimmy's managing Jim's and myself. So, now you're in a pretty strict territory, and I like it, you know? Right. Yeah, were you ever, you ever fined by him, and do you have a reason yeah, why oh you yeah. have been fined? Yeah, hell yeah. yeah. Bunch of times. <laughs> just Bunch no real times. reason I mean, you hit you with a fine? You, you never would know it. You get your check, and the money's already gone. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's awesome. <laughs> I've heard that uh, Buddy Landell was probably the most fined of any of the guys. Bad. I, I was going to win him. He's bad. <laughs> buddy, old Buddy was bad, bad, bad. <laughs> uh, that's the way Bill Watts ran his territory, you know. You, right. You, know, you ain't got no rules to break, then you, you know, you'll do anything. Exactly. Yeah. You know? Now, back then, did you prefer working heel or baby? Did you like to be the, uh, the most yeah. beloved guy, or did you like to be the most hated guy? Yeah, the heel. Yeah, I always liked that better. Which is odd you know, uh, because, you know, me and Josh grew up around the Midnight Express and we loved the Midnight Express even when they were heels. And when you turned right. baby and we're doing your singles matches uh, in the early 90s, we were all, abo- we were all on board. Uh, oh, okay. We, we thought, you know, as a baby face, we were like, oh, yeah, that's, that's the guy that does that cool move. Well, with the that's, we were like, that's what we've been saying this whole time. I mean, come on. Well, you know yeah. what the funny yeah. thing is, Bobby, when I first met you... Uh, on the well, like I was working on the indie circuit, and you came in and worked for a guy that wrestled out and that promoted shows out in Milan called Big Jim Business. His name was yeah, Ed. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah. My first show that I worked there, you were on the card, and 
I, you know, I had a total mark out moment where I walked up to you and I, you know, I was shaking a little bit. I was like 18, 19 <laughs> years old. And I said, uh, Mr. Eaton, uh, you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't tell you that match you had with Terry Taylor at uh, Halloween Havoc 91 was not one of the best matches ever. And you looked at me and go, I think I remember it. <laughs> but, uh, they kind of run together when you're on the road every day, you know. You know, I learned that. I learned that, you know, people will bring up stuff, you know, every once in a while. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not tooting my own horn here by any means. I was a weekend right. warrior. But every once in a while, yeah. somebody will bring up something that I've done, and I'm like, I don't even remember doing that. So I can't even imagine uh, what that would be like for you. Right. Well, when I first started doing the like Alabama gym, mm-hmm. it, it was it was off the top rope. You could you could do it off the top rope because it was just qualification for right. for Jarrett and uh, Nick Goose. Mm-hmm. Uh, second rope, second turnbuckle. Well, I remember when Bill Watts took over WCW and they made coming off the top rope illegal, and then they yeah. then they made it legal, but you couldn't do things like knee drops or something like that. And I remember I was like, right. Bobby has one of the best top rope knee drops in the business. Exactly. I mean, they think they even singled you out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bill Watts likes to change the rules, like to make them, you know, where if you broke them, you know, you had to cheat to break them, you know. Right. It's a heel, and it made it better for the for the heels too. So. So, so did you like those rules when they came into WCW where you could? Yeah, I, I did like I did like it, you know, because you know, by all means, when I if I was going to do the, the leg jam off the top rope, you know, I had Cornette or or Dennis or or Stan oh, could draw the referee or the referee got bummed to see it. I hit the back of the face, you know, with a, with a leg drop off the top rope. Dennis and yourself, you started feuding with the Rock and Roll Express around when you got to Mid-South. Can you yeah, think right Can you think of any other tag team that was more over with the fans, you know, just as far as being baby faces around that no. time? No. Not as far as Ricky and Robert, no. I know, you know? The, you know the Road Warriors turned face there uh, in the end of the 80s, but I, I still think Ricky and Robert, they, they had something going on. Yeah, I agree with you there, yeah. True. Here's something we were talking about earlier. You think with it has okay. to be in the cards for you and Dennis and possibly Stan to be put in the WWE Hall of Fame. It has to be. Yeah. Do you think? Well, you know, they say there is. You know, but I have to do it. I'm happy. You know, they don't find. Well, I mean, it's. Yeah. I mean, it's probably like Kiss not being in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame for so long. Do you think? That the Rock and Roll Express going in this year, do you think that kind of opens more doors for you guys to get the get the nod next year? Well, it probably does. But since we were like heels, you know, when I'm, uh, you know, doing the doing our heel moves and everything, and have Cornette as a manager, and I'm not sure Corny gets Cornette gets all gets along with Vince or whoever up there, you know. Well, so they, I don't know. They did bring Cornette back to induct the Rock and Roll, uh, yeah, Rock and Roll right. Express. So I mean. Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's probably one of the biggest slights in the business that you guys aren't already yeah. in. Well, I'm, I think you appreciate that. Uh, Jimmy, Jimmy knows how to, you know, he's, he knows what to do, you know. So. <laughs> you, guys, uh, you guys went to world class for a bit. You got any good Von Erich stories? No, not really. I mean, I worked, we worked with all of them, you know. Um, and, you know, it was, it was a you know, short church. We only went was there like six or seven months, something like that. Cause we were already on trying to, we we're already going over to Crockett's, you know, for uh, oh, Atlantic you, thing. You guys had already worked the deal out to go. No, we, no, we, hadn't, we, no, we hadn't went over there yet, but 
But we were, all, we were heading that way when, when they said, no, you need to go back and go over here for, for Von Eric for a few months and see how it worked out. And it didn't, it didn't really work out for us, you know. Yeah. Because we already had our minds set on going over to, to w, WCW or whatever, NWA. Who would you yeah. say was the best Von Eric out of all the brothers as far as just being a in-ring performer? Well, probably probably Kevin Von Eric probably would be the, the one most people say anyway, but I like working with all of them, you know, so. I always heard, you know, that David, at some point, they were thinking he would be, at, you know, an NWA champion at some point, but that was yeah, cut I heard short. That. I heard that too, you know. Yeah, I heard that same thing. Now, you've worked all over the place. You've worked in just yeah. about every territory. What was your favorite area to work in? Did you like working back in the South area, or did you prefer, like, working somewhere like Japan or somewhere in the West or in Texas? or well, What was your favorite area? I was like working about just about everywhere. You know, one of my favorite places to work, a couple of places, was Baltimore and Philadelphia. You know, you know that, that was a, that's a really, really good turnout there for crowd-wise. It's um, funny you, you say Philadelphia because Halloween Havoc 90 – was in Philadelphia, I believe, and you guys were the heels, like you and Stan and Jim, and I thought it was hilarious that you got a bigger a bigger crowd than the Steiner brothers. Even I mean, everybody yeah. was cheering you guys. That's what I tell you. I remember that. You know, Speaking well, that's the, whole, the whole time. That's the whole time people are changing. Well, they saw wrestling anyway. They didn't just see it, right? They knew who was actually doing most of the work. I know. I'm not saying most of the work, but who was supposed to be doing most of the work. Right. You know, was well, well, Dennis and me and Dennis and Stan. Me, me and Stan. Speaking uh, of Philadelphia, no. you know, you, you and Arn had a match or two in ECW, right? Yeah, oh yeah. How was yeah. how was working for ECW? I, I liked it. I like working for ECW. Yeah, good crowds, yeah. real loud. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I always like working for them. I always got along with, with uh, Paul Lee, you know. So. What would you say the schedule was like Whenever you guys went to work for Jim Crockett, compared to Bill Watts' schedule, just the road schedule. Yeah, well, it was it was hard work for for Watts, especially because you drove just about everywhere. You know, they wouldn't fly. They sometimes they fly us to uh, to Oklahoma City and Tulsa that same day. They do one in Oklahoma City in the afternoon or in, at night. One of them, I'm not sure, but anyway, same day. And they give us a little money for trip if we had to fly. It was just kind of hard to make it. It's hard to make that shot because you know you're putting up, putting up your weight, putting you, you know, all too much traveling. Now I remember when I was younger, I remember there was this young team that was starting to form. It was like a faction, and it was headed up by Paul E. Dangerously. It was in WCW, and they were starting to recruit guys. They had. Uh, Steve Austin, they had Rick, Rick Rude. Rude, they had Larry Zabisco, they had all these guys, and I remember there was a match that you and Dustin Rhodes were taking on some members of this Dangerous Alliance, is what they were calling themselves, and I remember you tagged in at the last moment and gave Dustin a shoulder breaker, shattering my yeah. heart and Dustin's shoulder at the same time. Uh, <laughs> Now, what was who who approached you with that to say, hey, how would you like to be a part of this elite group, which I think was probably one of the most underrated factions ever. Yeah, yeah well, Dusty Dusty uh, was a booker at the time too, and he, you know, he, he was a real smart guy. So he, they approached me there. Cause, you know, I, I wasn't really going to words at a babyface at the time. Then they put, I put R and me together, and then they put the Dangerous Alliance together, and then and then we just had the Dangerous Alliance. Well, I, I liked it well. 
being in the business for so long, what was one of the best ribs that you were ever a part of that, or you saw happen? Well, best ribs? One of, one of them was when um, I got I got a pretty weak stomach anyway, so we were driving, traveling down the road somewhere. I'm not sure where it was, but I had a little deal. He used to do like pack up, you know, like a loogie or whatever, hey. And so to you, I didn't like it anyway. So, <laughs> I, I tried to do it to him one day. I just finally got to I could do it. I was thinking, well, I got to try to get back to him. When I did, I threw up all over his, all over his chest. And everything. <laughs> he was driving. He was driving his heck of a car, you know. Well, that was, a, that was a pretty good, you know, it wasn't real, but it, it, everybody thinks it was, but it wasn't. Right. <laughs> well, Bobby, I want to say thank you once again for being a part of P3 Radio. It's been great having you. Sure to be a future Hall of Famer. Ladies and gentlemen, beautiful Bobby Eaton. Thank you. Thanks, Dave. All right, ladies and gentlemen, joining us on P3 Radio right now. He has done just about everything in the wrestling business there is to do. He's been a promoter. He's been a manager for one of the greatest wrestlers ever and also a good friend of Bobby Eaton's. We have none other than Brian Thompson. Brian, how's it going, my friend? Man, things are wonderful. How are you guys doing? Doing good, man. Uh, of course, you know, like, like I said before, Josh had to call in sick today. And, uh, you know, I'm here flying solo and I'm just a little nervous. <laughs> We're on autopilot and I'm hoping to not right John on. Denver this thing. So right. uh, Hello. <laughs> we'll probably cut that out. You know, you never know. But um, <laughs> anyways, man, uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording today. And uh, we were talking about Bobby doing interviews and... Uh, uh, Bobby, one of the nicest guys in the world. And I think I mentioned to you that you could tell in that interview that he didn't want to just say, hey, man, I'm tired. I want to go. He was trying to be nice. And he was just like, hey, guys, you know, just call me back tomorrow, which we had fun with because it's like, can you imagine like the president of the United States going up there? Well, I guess you could now, but could you imagine somebody, <laughs> somebody in a high ranking authority just going, uh, I'm tired of this press conference. Let's just do it again tomorrow. <laughs> Bobby's Bobby. That's, uh, that's that is that clip right there. That sound bite is, is Bobby to a T. That's the definition <laughs> of him. He's a just a regular cat, you know, and, and very humble. The most humble individual, right. you know, of the name value that I've ever dealt with in professional wrestling. So that that makes total sense. <laughs> yeah, we were we were winding around some pretty pretty intense mountains at that particular point in time. Right. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I just had to laugh because, like I said, and you said we weren't his only interview that day, right? Oh, no, that's, I mean, usually I set him up, and he's, you know, he's not Mr. Promo as it is and never was, and, and although he's better than he gives himself credit for, but right. he's a few minutes in, he, he usually a lot of times we'll be together when he's doing one, and he'll kind of give me the, the look at the watch, the eyes, like how much longer is this thing going to go? And then uh, one time he just basically abruptly told the guys, well, guys, I'll talk to you later. In the middle, more or less the middle of the thing. I mean, it, it was quite a ways into it. And let me, let me preface that by saying it's probably 20 or 30 minutes in, and they, they were going longer than we anticipated. So he just kind of gave them the, gave them the old Iggy, goodbye, boys. <laughs> and, you know, the greatest thing about Bobby is I have talked to him in a, in a social situation in the back, He's, he's, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of words, but he's funny. He's talkative. He, yeah, he's very, ener you know, he's more energetic than what he, what he is usually in interviews. I think he just gets a little nervous in interviews. And I think we shot in this interview that you're, that we just heard. I think we probably threw out probably about 40 questions and usually you would have Bobby, you know, going into a little bit more detail. And I think just the nervousness of having to actually sit here and be interviewed by these two guys that he doesn't know and doesn't know what they do. I think he was, 
I don't, I don't. He didn't clam up, but I think he was just like, "All right, let's let's do this. Let's let's move on to the next question." <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, you know, he's he's just uh, he doesn't realize I think how much respect he has out there and in, in the wrestling business. And it was ironic that it was timed right before Wrestlecade. And, you know, once we got there and it's, he would run into different people, just how, you know, other big names in the business would, would just come up and big hug, handshake, little clowning around. And they were just excited to see him. And, you know, his health has improved in the last year or so. And so happy to see that. So he's just not really, a, you know, he doesn't say a whole lot. He always did his talking in the ring. That was always a thing. And so when you, you mentioned talking to uh, Golden Boy Greg Anthony, so once we had the Midnight Gold, we, we came up with the perfect way to uh, get Bobby to say something. Greg would always lay it out, you know, his 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 spiel as good as, and then Bobby would say gold. So I could get him to get the one word out there. I said, Bobby, all I need is the word gold. And so we. Uh, <laughs> oh man, we we worked with it, but he, you know, if you go YouTube him cutting promos in Chattanooga, he's he was actually pretty decent. But what you know, when he was having to do that in his early days, what happened was being the humble individual that he is, is he started having managers who couldn't do the things in the ring that obviously Bobby could do. Oh, yeah. He realized that the money for them was the ability to talk and. and you know, cut promos and, and draw heat that way. So he let them have all that glory, and he just kind of did his thing in the ring. So it, it was a it's a perfect blend. Whether it was you know Jimmy Hart, Jim Cornette, Paulie Dangerously, doesn't matter. He was always the the action in the ring, and they were the uh, get you mad at him to get him to the ring. So how did you meet Bobby? What led y'all to start working together and be friends? Sure, 2001. I had a tryout when. Uh, you know, back in the day, it wasn't WWE or WWF at the time, did not have an NXT in their own internal developmental system. They contracted it out. Uh, they had Ohio Valley Wrestling, of course, in Louisville, mm -hmm. and also a developmental territory in Memphis, Memphis Championship Wrestling. And they also worked with Power Pros. So anyway, long story short, I lucked into a tryout with Memphis Championship Wrestling. And at the same time, Bobby was uh, debuting as a trainer with WWF and the guys in Memphis at the time, and so I met him on my tryout weekend. I, I it was Ripley and Covington, Tennessee, where the two towns we had that I was at. I had to you know, basically had those two nights a Friday, Saturday. I can't remember which town was which night, but those were the two towns. And so I get there, and here comes. Yeah, I was excited when I heard Bobby was coming in, and just even whether or not I ended up getting the gig with MCW or not, I was excited to meet him. One of my favorites growing up, and so I went up, and you know, he, I entered. I introduced myself, and he goes, I'm Bobby Eaton. And I go, yes, sir, I know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, you that was know, a funny moment. Well, for guys like us that watched Bobby, for some reason or another, even if you were a Marky Mark like I was when I was a kid watching him, and you were supposed to hate him because he's in the Dangerous mm -hmm. Alliance, and he, he's just this bad guy, you couldn't help but like him. He was just so talented that he curved that line between bad and good, and you were just like, he's bad? But I got to respect him because he's probably one of the best wrestlers in the ring right now. Sure, and you to a T. You ask any of the guys from back in the eighties, they they rank Bobby up in their top, you know, five or ten. Uh, some some rank him as high as one, two, or three, and they say because he had the ability every night of the week to go out and help produce a different style match. Whereas you get some will tell you that the Ric Flairs and certain others had the same 
carbon copy match per se. Yes, it worked, but they'll tell you night after night. Shane Douglas is a huge, obviously, friend and fan of Bobby. Right. Uh, in general, he talks about it all the time, about the things Bobby can do as far as in the ring and, and produce night after night a different uh, caliber of match. And, and not, you, would, you could basically tour with the NWA and see a different match every night of the week. So absolutely. Right. But he's just so humble. I mean, that is the thing I took from him. Is You know, as you're getting up in the business, I mean, I, I was, man, this guy has no ego whatsoever. And if anybody truly deserved to have one, he certainly, you know, have, could lay claim to that and be a jerk. And you just kind of like, well, he's earned his right to be kind of this way. But, exactly. man, you know, he treated he'll, he treats the world heavyweight champion with the same respect as the, the guy uh, selling popcorn or the guy cleaning up after the matches. I mean, he's he's... You know, he, he is the model, in my opinion, a model, one of the models to follow, uh, to keep, you know, keep grounded and remember, you know, we all bleed the same, <laughs> right. same color blood. Well, and, you know, I just, I always took that from him. Uh, I think I told you of the story uh, a couple months back when we were talking about getting Bobby on the show. MCW came to Jackson, Tennessee's Omen Arena. We mm-hmm. went, we were hardcore wrestling fans. We had been watching since the time we were in diapers all the way up. And Bobby Eaton was one of our favorites. So we were at MCW and, you know, guys were coming out to the, to the curtain and we would cheer. Hey, hey, hey. They would just look at us and go, Hey, watch the match kids. All right. You know, we got a few pictures with some guys that were starting up. I think Lance Cade and a couple of those guys like that. But we went to the back right where the dressing room was. And we saw Bobby Eaton about 30 yards away. Me and my buddy Josh and our couple of our other buddies just started going, Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. And he just kind of waved. And he, he kind of smiled, and we just all started chanting, Alabama Jam, Alabama Jam. <laughs> and to his credit, Bobby smiled, shook hands with whoever he was talking to, which was way more important than these teenagers, walks over and takes a picture with us. Now, he, oh, did, yeah. he did the My Name is Earl with his eyes closed in the picture, and it was a very yeah. <laughs> horrible picture. <laughs> but Well, it, the days before you had the cell phone technology, right. and you reshoot it immediately, yeah. <laughs> was that probably 2001, maybe? Yes. Yeah, that would have been 2001. I was working for the company then, yeah. I was there. I was probably... At that time, they had me, you know, on the big shows. I didn't get to get in the ring. I was always, you know, I had to pay the dues a little more. Right. And uh, I got to sell magazines and other merchandise. At those, I finally, toward the end of the run, I got to get in the ring and do one one little thing. But anyway, yeah. Uh, yeah, I have other stories like that. Even in MCW early days, of knowing him personally, he, the, you know, there was a, a little kid in a wheelchair and then, one some pictures and he had the he had the entire crew come out and shoot with a picture uh with them so of course obviously bobby goes and makes that request it, it, it happens uh, we were at a festival in arkansas years ago i was with my shoot job helping do some kid games and there was a kid that wanted to have you know it was like 50 cents a ticket or something and some little kid didn't have the money, so he pulled out five bucks and gives it to the kids i mean that's just that's his, his nature and cornet there's a good audio clip on YouTube if you track it down. Of course, I talked about the times when Bobby would, would somebody would tell him a homeless story or whatever, and next thing you know, 30 minutes, yeah, 30 minutes later, here comes Bobby with the guy, you know, in the, around it, uh, hanging out, buddies, arms around each other, and the guy's got a big old grocery sack full of items, so. (laughs) Well, you know, even. That's him, man. That is him. Golden Boy was talking about having uh, Bobby's grocery sack, of mystery grocery sack of goodies. That he carried oh around. my gosh! <laughs> and I've heard Cornette Bro, talk about it as well. I mean, uh... it exists. <laughs> I used to joke with him when we would travel because we traveled 
all over the world. It feels like 20, 28 states is what I've been in wrestling in my career, but and most of that has been with Bobby and because of Bobby. But he, I used to joke with him instead of, you know, he always, it, didn't, it was over, you know, one night shot or, or even going to town and driving home, he would carry like all these bags. I'm like, Bobby, we might as well just get a U-Haul <laughs> and put the stuff in a U-Haul and just have access to the, you know, whatever, because right. he would just carry everything. He wanted to be, as Cornette is saying that, Neil, you wanted to be prepared. Any any number of things, if he needed to uh, complete brain surgery on the spot, he had the tools. <laughs> And was ready to do it. So well, now was he? Is it just a pre- preparation thing, or do you think he's harboring some hoarder type tendencies or some trust issues? <laughs> <laughs> I can't leave my stuff here. Okay, somebody's gonna steal uh, it. Did he grow up in a bad neighborhood? Well, he he grew up in some yeah. I mean, he grew up in poor uh, conditions and stuff like that. So I don't know if that has a little bit to it. But I I would actually lean more to the old way. He wants to be prepared for any and all situations that could happen and exist. I don't know that, you know, he would, he doesn't have to take everything with him, but he has to take the essential things that, again, as life on the road uh, could come up, scissors and sewing, you know, kit. I mean, you name it, it's going to be in that bag. And so 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 the Steiners were really bad about playing ribs on him. They would try to come up with the off the wall things and pretty much he would have it. So you're telling me that he probably has every Boy Scout badge ever if he would have been in the Boy Scouts. <laughs> probably. <laughs> but that's good. That's, that's good to be prepared. Man, Bobby is one of the nicest guys, so you can't say anything. Even talking about him being in the Boy Scouts right there would just made me feel like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say that. It's kind of oh, like... But, but see, it's, everybody picks on him. I mean, you know, once you get to know him, we're always, I'm always trying to find ways to pick at him on the road, you know, to make the, the trips go by more quickly. And the wrestlers are always, everybody has to, you know, of course, he poor fellow. He's got a weak stomach. It's it's notorious. He told you the Arn Anderson story, but he's you know he's one of those types. You could don't even have the conversation about something gross, and his stomach starts turning a little bit. You know, which is amazing. You you wouldn't think it. And so it, yeah, if you just start talking about something super gross, and yeah, Bobby, this or that happens, he's like, shut up. Like, <laughs> it's just gonna make him you know start feeling sick. So. So that's his kryptonite is uh, gross, disgusting that, stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all this, all this, and more coming soon in the Bobby Eaton uh, biography to be written by yours truly one right. of these days. Been working on it for years. Steve Austin brings him up a lot, like on the podcast sure. and in his book, and credits him with being one of the best. Now, uh, we talked about him keeping his cool, being one of the nicest people. And Golden Boy told me a story. It was the only time he had heard of him losing his cool. Have you ever seen Bobby getting hot at anything or anybody? A uh, time or two, but, you know, nothing. The other person is the at fault. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, typically, and usually it's something where you'd think somebody, you know, might be taking advantage of a friend or a family member or something like that. He might get a little agitated. Right. You know, that sort of thing. Bobby's in, mm-hmm. in good health, doing good. Uh, last year, I remember there was something going on where we couldn't find him for a little bit. And everybody Atlanta. Was it was in Atlanta, uh-huh. right? Atlanta. Uh, well, I mean, just the preface. Yeah, I'll go ahead. I don't mind yeah, okay. mentioning a little bit. You know, he had, with with some of his health issues, it was really more of a concern because he had lost his phone, right? And no way of getting in contact with him. And so, you know, in let's face it, it's 2017 going on 2018. It's a scary world out there. So. Uh, I was scheduled to pick him up at St. Louis Airport at a certain time, and we talked. He had missed a flight because of a connecting issue, and so, you know, he's going to have to stay extended hours in an airport, 
and then had to try to make the next one. And so he was supposed to call me back and, and tell me his next flight, and that never uh, materialized because he lost his phone and, you know, wasn't sure how to get, you know. And then also was thinking that, that maybe I was showing up in, you know, at the airport or whatever right. the case may be. So a little bit of confusion there, you know, and so not knowing, not have, not being able to track him down, my first thought was, well, let's use the power, let's, let's, test, the, let's test and use the power of social media. Right. And, dude, my day was shot. As soon as that, that message came out, my phone's ringing. I mean, I you know, named people in the business calling. The Rock tweeted out about him, and just knowing wow. you know, knowing some of the health issues he had dealt with, and you know, his sugar had dropped in the past. So I mean, did that happen? As he you know, fell out in the bathroom, a restaurant, you know, any number of things going through my mind. Knowing he had cash on him from a payoff that weekend, did, did you know he get? I mean, Atlanta's a big airport. Yeah. Did he get pulled over in a corner and a couple guys decided to, you know, we're going to rob this dude that's got some cash on it. So, you know, at the end of the day, it was a, I don't want to call it a false alarm, but we just used it. We did what we needed to, I did and everybody else did what we felt was necessary to make sure he uh, was found. And so it was a long day, but he, he ended up being okay and got sick. Fortunately, Sigmund and, and some folks happened to be passing through and we're able to connect up, and of course, me not being a next of kin, talking to the airport and getting any kind of real right. response was not happening. Right. So it was like you know, and then trying not to alarm his family. So really, we're kind of in a weird spot. And again, it was when I got here, he's like, "Hey guys," <laughs> <laughs> they're like, "You're what? You're missing?" He's like, "I am," yeah. because he had no clue that that you know. There was a chaos and calamity. He just knew he didn't have his phone, so well, he, he was might, okay. It just you know, he just we couldn't, we had no way of good communication, and it led to about twenty four hours of chaos. Well, I remember when I first saw that Facebook post, I immediately got worried, and I stalked your Facebook for the rest of the day, and I didn't know what well, to sure, do. I yeah. felt helpless. I was like, well, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep checking and see if they find him because, uh, in my mind, you know, I come from that very guilty Southern. Everything's the worst case possible scenario. Sure. And when you, I think in my mind, I had heard the story that he was confused, lost. We didn't know what was going on and we don't know where he's at. And it could be a medical problem. And in my mind, sure, yeah. like, oh God, you know, please don't let this be happening because. Uh, yeah. And, and yeah, we didn't want the, the end, the bad result that we sometimes hear. And with, you know, with things like having diabetes and, and some of those heart issues, it affects your mind and stuff like that sometimes. And guys get, you know, I don't want to say not dizzy, but I mean, you know, you get kind of out of, so especially when that sugar really messes with you, that will jack with your system. Oh, yes. And now, you know, again, I've lost my phone, all these different things. So yeah, it was a little bit nerve wracking and then not knowing, you know, we thought, I thought he was in, in Atlanta, but there was some thought that maybe he was still in Charlotte and never made the connection to Atlanta. So we never really, you know, for, for a time it was, you know, we didn't know where, and then somebody had actually, thinking it, they actually thought he was Bobby Heenan, <laughs> and then posted a picture of Bobby eating at a restaurant in Atlanta, and posted that on Twitter, and so we're just trying to track that dude down, and say, hey, when was this, where was it, blah, 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 well, fortunately, another restaurant in the business happened to recognize the backdrop of that particular restaurant, and knew that was Atlanta Airport, so we did, you know, it was like playing, you know, Where in the world is coming, San Diego, while. but... Where yeah, in the world is Bobby Eaton? 
Yeah, and he really didn't like to talk about the whole situation, right. you know, again, because it was just a combination of, you know, all the, all the dumb luck things that could happen. And right. It led to probably a bigger, it was a bigger story than it, you know, ended up truly being. But, you know, you never can be too careful in, in that situation. I wasn't, I wasn't just going to wait around, you know, well, maybe he'll call me in about 12 hours. You know, right. I was like, well, let's just, let's put it out there and see what we can get. So surely somebody, and then you don't know, I mean, he's so nice. Maybe a couple of fans pick him up and, and, and he rides off with him. So all these different scenarios. I guess the worst case scenario there, if he got in the car with somebody, it becomes like a silence of the lambs type thing. It's like <laughs> Bobby is somewhere in a pit and putting lotion on him, confused. <laughs> oh, wow. which, which is a funny thought. Teddy. Well, we can laugh about it now. Yes, More exactly. so at, at the time, yeah, it was frightening. But, you know, looking back, it's kind of like little, you know, the ha-ha-ha thing. So. Right. It's it's always better to look back and go, that's hilarious now in, in hindsight than to look at it as another wrestling tragedy. And I will say kudos to you because it could have easily turned into something like that, I think. You know, um, I don't think, like I said, I think knowing now everything was fine, but anytime something like that happens, I right. think people sit back and don't take the aggressive, don't take the offense and say, oh, he'll call me in 12 hours and things yeah. have happened. Well, you know, I, I tag over to Sigmund, too, for, you know, he he was on his way from, he lives in Florida, and he happened to be going that direction and was willing to step up. A couple other folks, James Strange from uh, East Tennessee, that he passed the airport, he, he, made, he was in transit on a trip he had to do. So, so everybody really, you know, played a part in the whole, let's figure this situation out. And, uh, you know, it was just a, it was a quite the, quite the intriguing day so I, you know i just appreciate everybody also another thing a little sidebar that just shows how much people love him if i go back and look at stats man those posts were seen by thousands of people right. like i said the rock was tweeting about it i think shane mcmahon tommy dreamer called i mean it was just like you know the whole the, the whole wrestling community for a short period you know went all up in arms to try to make something you know make sure he was okay and there was a couple of idiots. It was like, is this, you know, some kind of a rib or what? Like, no, dude, look, no. you don't know. Shut your freaking mouth. And right. we're trying to trying to find somebody here who's had some health issues. We don't know what the situation is, exactly. good, bad, or indifferent. I'd rather freak out and be okay than, like you said, not do anything and then get bad news. So Exactly. Well, I think you handled it well. To kind of take things to a positive note, you said he's in good health. He's mm -hmm. it's, he's kind of retired right now, right? He's doing signings and interviews and talking, but... Is he still wrestling? Yeah, he hasn't. No, he doesn't. He hasn't wrestled. He did a uh, one-time return match. We He wrestled Ricky Morton about two years ago mm -hmm. in uh, Tennessee, close to where Ricky's school is, and we did a little spot where <laughs> uh, we, we, I, love, I joke with him about this. We did an angle where I, you know, I managed, so we you know kept it good. For, you know, he didn't have to do anything too over, off the wall, blah, 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 interfered, yada, yada. And I get in, and of course, you know, I'm I'm telling him to use these nuts on Ricky, and he's refusing to accept the weapon to do it. And so I slap him in the face. He pushes me. Ricky rolls me up, and they count me down. So <laughs> I, I took the loss in the actual match. But of course, as listeners hear this, it'll be past this. But uh, he's wrestling uh, as of December second. He's actually uh, refereeing a match. Bill Dundee and Jerry Lawler are tagging against a couple of guys, and Bobby's the referee in Gallatin, Tennessee. So. He's still making sporadic appearances. Right. Did the thing at Russell Cade a couple weekends ago. So, you know, he's still uh, able to sign autographs. Like I said, as far as health, he's, he's doing better than he's been in a while. We were actually, you know, had a lot of ER trips 
a few years back, but I think we're about to roll over three straight years without having any of those. So oh, that's, that's an accomplishment awesome. considering some of the health issues he had yes. for a time. So I'm proud of him and uh, looking forward to seeing him again. I don't have any set dates yet, yeah. but one or two will pop up next spring and we'll hit the road again. The Adventures of Brian and Bob. <laughs> now, I won't ask you to give away any insider information if you know anything, but feel free to okay. use our show as a platform if you know any inside information here. What do you think is the likelihood, if not this year, uh, it's got to be soon, and this is something we even asked Bobby, what do you think the likelihood of this year, if not in the next five years, that you see the Midnight Express and Bobby Eaton go into the WWE Hall of Fame? Oh, as far as in the next five years, strong likelihood. And I think um, a few, you know, I think last year kind of set that stage when you had the Rock and Roll Express, two things, when you had the Rock and Roll Express inducted and them being inducted by Jim Cornette. So I think it opened some doors and uh, reestablished some relationships there that, you know, Cornette is very opinionated. I always enjoy it. And 99% of the time I agree with him, quite frankly. But, um, you know, he's been he's been outspoken against, WWE and some of the things he doesn't agree with, and he's in a position where he doesn't have to worry about, you know, minding any kind of P's and Q's. He's done well and continues to do well. So, anyway, long story short, with last year, I think that opened some doors, whereas you might have thought, oh, it's, it's never going to happen because of this. I think now it's very likely, and, and as far as I don't have any, I don't know anything, so I haven't been told, but... Um, I would say, you know, within the next five years, surely. I can't see why not. Now, of course, you know, this upcoming WrestleMania is in New Orleans, which is where the original formation happened in that territory of Mid-South. So I'm not not speculating anything, (laughs) but, I mean, as far as a location, next year, a pretty good one. But, you know, whether or not that's there, maybe they wait till they go back to Atlanta since that's WCW territory uh, with Crockett Promotions and then later WCW, so... Anyway, long, that, that's a long way around saying, yes, I think they will eventually be inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame and probably within the next five years. So, And, and you'll have those people that look at it and go, well, like with Sting going in, they'll say, well, Sting never wrestled a WWE. Well, he only wrestled like two WWF matches. Right. And I'm like, well, look at it this way. WWF is pretty much everything globally now except for New Japan. That's it. So, I mean, yeah. you're looking at wrestling in general. So if yeah. they own the library, you count it. <laughs> you have well, to. Well, WWE Hall of Fame is, is an industry-wide recognition. I mean, you could argue, depending on how you want to look at it, yes, he had a great run there in his latter years, but even Flair, his best years, his prime years were in NWA, WCW. Dusty Rhodes, I mean, the list goes on and on of great talents that are in there that did some of their bigger work elsewhere, not under the WWE umbrella, so... It's a. It may be called WWE Hall of Fame, but it's it's Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame under that organization. So they are the keepers of our wrestling history now, right? Whether we like it or we don't like it, right. we really do have to learn to love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Brian, man, I'm not going to hold you up any longer today, man. Uh, I want to just say thank you. We're definitely going to have you back on. Do you have anything coming up? I know you're a busy man. I, I follow your Facebook, like I said. So I see that this was yeah. one of the first weekends that you've had free. Now, do you have anything coming up this weekend or next weekend? What you got going on, man? Man, I'm, I'm actually, I, I call myself semi-retired now from as far as taking outside bookings. I mean, that's not to say I won't do one or two here and there, uh, but I had been working for Harley Race, is World League Wrestling pretty actively, a group called High Risk Wrestling and just sporadic other independent dates, but I've kind of 
scaled back to focus on ringside championship wrestling again. I've uh, run a couple times this year, and I want to kind of pick up that schedule a little bit and then, you know, focus in and then, you know, have a life. I'm getting kind of old, man. I may need, I need to find that. Man. I need to find my next ex-wife. But <laughs> long, story, long story short, yeah, RCW, It's uh, you can learn more about it, facebook.com slash RCW ringside. We have shows, uh, have one scheduled in this part of the country, Richland, Missouri, on March 3rd, and hopefully some more from there. So uh, TV show that's out there on the High Spots Wrestling Network and some local cable, so Check us out on Facebook. That's probably the best way to, to find us, and uh, hopefully you might see something you enjoy and want to. If you're if you're listening and you're in this area or something, you know you might want to come check it out. Well, man, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much. Like I said, but go check out that RCW when they're in your area. If you're in that area, it's definitely worth the trip to come see them too. So if you're not in the area, go see it. Great shows, Brian Thompson. Thank you again, man, for being a part of P3 Radio. Sounds good. Appreciate you guys. Well, that song means we are absolutely all out of time. We'd like to thank everybody for listening to today's episode. And please join us on Facebook at Pop Poncho or text or call us at 731-300-MORE. That's 731-300-6675. Well, thanks once again. And for Josh Briley, I am Richard Mulliken saying thanks and good night. P3 Radio.